0: The following program, called Sing Me Back Home, is brought to you by the Pioneer Valley Folklore Society with support from the Mass Foundation on the Humanities, the Ruth Mott Fund, and WFCR, Amherst, Massachusetts, public radio for Western New England.
1: Uncle Pete from New York, he came to visit us, and he had this big, big accordion, and I'd ask him how to do it, and he did, he just played by ear. But then I start picking it up, and I, I just kept on going. I never took a lesson in my life on the accordion. I just did it by myself.
2: The street I lived on, and every street did it. They, The, the people on the street, the neighbors would, would build their own little bonfire on the, in, in the center of the street. And all the neighbors came out and brought their chairs and sat around, and brought instruments. And uh, we did a lot of songs in French are always, they call them chansons à répondre, which are uh, songs to be answered. Uh, you know, somebody will get up and sing a part of the song and everybody answers right back the line that he said.
3: The neighborhood, they had an an orchestra, like a group, a small group, and while I was in my bed and they were rehearsing, I used to like feel the rhythm and dance in my bed. I swear to God, <laughs> I used to dance, and I was around, let's say, seven or eight years old, like that. So. so I was listening to the rhythm, like what they had no 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 wind instrument, just the rhythm, you know, the the bongos, the drums, you know, maracas. Ah, they had an accordion too. So. I, in the, in the far away, what you could listen is the rhythm. You can hear the, the accordion, you know. So I used to like dance in my bed, you know, huh? until I went to sleep. <laughs>
0: Hi. For the Pioneer Valley Folklore Society, I'm Carrie Noble Klein. You're listening to the voices of people singing out of traditions found in the Pioneer Valley of Western Massachusetts the connecticut river valley between greenfield and springfield is rich in song and dance traditions from every continent and corner of the world this gathering of voices and instruments presents musicians from puerto rican Franco-American, Tibetan, Peruvian, Italian-American and African-American communities. The conversations we recorded suggest how and why so many different musical traditions survive here. We asked local musicians to talk about how their singing styles and traditions have moved along with history, picking up and carrying forward images and stories of the past. This program explores the stories of people now living in western New England whose families, beginning in the late 19th century, brought their music from somewhere else and continue to perform it here in the Connecticut River Valley. We asked people to talk about how they learned to play and sing and about the place of music in their earlier lives. We wanted to know how songs and stories were taught and learned in different families and communities. Normally we think of such songs and spoken texts being passed along from parents to children over generations, like a stream of expression out of the past. Perhaps the source of a particular tale or ballad is no longer known, and it passes into folk tradition. Some families can trace a song back many generations. This program goes beyond looking sentimentally at old folk songs from distant homelands. We wanted to explore the cultural interplay in our valley and the dynamic ways in which old instrumental and vocal music is rendered in new situations. But often, cultural accidents may interrupt this expressive flow from an earlier time. As we listened carefully to what people said about their lives and music, all kinds of little quirks of fate emerged. Single moments or insights that changed the direction of musical development. We heard how sudden new influences presented themselves as doors of opportunity opened or closed. Jose Vachon's piano teacher died when she was 15 and thus altered the course of her musical career. For Mario Cora, a Puerto Rican salsa trumpeter and singer, a chance encounter with a table full of musical instruments at school one day was the beginning of a lifelong passion.
3: I'm playing trumpet by coincidence. Yes. When this teacher went from room to room asking who wanted to be a musician, that I raised my hand, and when they started giving the instruments to the students, they had a big table, a long table, and they had all the instruments on top of that table. So, everybody started picking the, the, the newest and the, the, the beautiful instruments. So, the teacher, well, I was sitting by the, by the teacher, and he looked at me, and he said, What are you waiting for to pick your instruments? It's because I don't know what instrument, what instrument I'm going to play. So he looked at me and he looked at the table and there was left a clarinet, a trumpet, old trumpet old bangalore, up, you know, <laughs> uh, a French horn, a piccolo. And he picked the trumpet and he said, try this. And I said, wow. <laughs> and I tried it and I was lucky that I made a sound. And he said, "That's your instrument." <laughs> so I said, "Oh my god!" So I was—they had this, you know, boy in town with my instrument, and my trumpet. I've been making my in my living with the trumpet so far. I'm 66 years old right now.
0: Sean is a Franco-American singer whose clear voice and sparkle have created a following stretching from her childhood home of Lake McGantic in southern Quebec to the southernmost reaches of New England. On New Hampshire cable TV, she hosts a weekly program, Bonjour, devoted to French Canadian music. From her living room in Belchertown, Massachusetts, Jose remembers how she got her first guitar.
2: The, The piano teacher died when I was 15, and that was the end of my lessons. And that's when my parents bought me a guitar too. It was easier to you know bring along at parties. I taught myself just to to be able to go anywhere, you know, and, and accompany the family, all these old traditional songs.
4: toujours
0: Sometimes performers are drawn to a particular style of music rather than to an instrument, as in the case of Mary Pittman Wyatt. Mary is a social worker who has studied music. Born in Greencastle, Indiana, she has spent the last 30 years in New England. We spoke with Mary in her home in South Deerfield, Massachusetts, where she lives with her son Jim. Founder of the local Martin Luther King Jr. breakfast, Mary sings in the choir of the Wesley Methodist Church. In her childhood years, the Pittman home was full of all types of music, both live and recorded.
5: Grace, how sweet the song
6: In high school,
5: I used to want to do opera. I know something that I just just love. And I used to get in the um, in the living room. We had a tall mirror and I used to get in the living room and try to sing opera. He didn't know a note what I was doing, but I, I sort of acted it out as if I were an opera singer.
0: Mary's is not the only music that began in a living room or a family setting. Parents sing lullabies to their children often the same ones that they heard when they were being bounced on their parents' or grandparents' knees. Children teach their elders music from school and from the streets. In this section, we'll hear people talking about some of the songs they learned as children. Trumpet player Mario Cora and his band leader, Felix Gonzalez, speak about some of the songs they used to hear their mothers and grandmothers singing back in Puerto Rico. Mary White still sings the lullaby that her father used to sing her to sleep.
3: My grandma used to sing to us songs like I never understood what she was, because she was uh, singing in a language, you know, that I couldn't understand what that she was singing. But she had the reading, and she used to, things like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I used to sing to us when we were, you know, babies. Like, you know.
7: they used to sing uh, the women's when they go to wash their clothes and at the, uh, the river. They used to sing while they they were, you know, scrubbing the clothes.
3: Santa Maria líbranos de todo mal amparanos señora de este terrible animal Santa Maria líbranos de todo mal amparanos señora de este terrible animal
5: My father taught us a lullaby which has been in the family for many many years and and we all don't know where it came from mm-hmm and we heard grandpa sing it once, but dad always sang it to us. I remember that I used to sing it to Jim and and we looked down and Jim would be crying and we cried so it's, uh, it's kind of a sad lullaby but I'll sing a little bit of it. Oh, do you remember a long time ago? Two babes in the woods whose names I don't know were carried away one bright summer day. Unlost in the woods, I heard people say on when they were found, the robin so red carried strawberry leaves and over them spread and sang the sweet song the whole day long. Poor babes in the woods, they now are gone. Poor babes
0: in the woods, They now are gone. Mary's song is a variant of a ballad commonly known in Anglo-American traditions throughout the Southern Appalachians. It's interesting to see that this ballad passed into the repertoire of an African-American family as well, though such diffusion is undoubtedly widespread. Songs of past days come to life every time a family sings them. Ruby Lamgam Lamo lives in Amherst, Massachusetts. She is a healthcare worker and a practitioner of traditional Tibetan medicine. Since she arrived in Massachusetts, Ruby has begun to perform the songs she learned when she was growing up in the mountains of western Tibet.
1: My mother teaches me song that's very old song from the generation is coming in my family I don't remember full but I will sing little okay whatever little bit I know
6: whatever la a to dan satani to de pora to sito no jingyam jingyam liali sa laji a chai to sita chulanya
0: Music was an essential ingredient in Helene Crisio's childhood, too. Singing and playing were at the core of all family gatherings. Accordion playing was also a starting point of a seven-year courtship. Helene was born in Westfield, Massachusetts, two years after her parents arrived on a steamship from Italy in 1919. She has worked all her life as a musician and plays the accordion, banjo, violin, and mandolin, Helene plays music that varies in style from popular John Philip Sousa marches to lesser-known Italian pieces. In drawing on so many different types of music, Helene demonstrates the versatility without which folk music would never exist.
1: I was uh in my eighth grade of school, and an old friend of the family met Angelo, my husband. But he said, hey Angelo, one of my paisanos, paisana means come from the same city in Italy. That's what it means, paisano. So he says, one of my paisanos plays accordion. Why don't you come down and, uh, and meet her? So he came to the house, and I was only 14, and he was 17. Well, when I heard Angelo play that accordion, I couldn't believe how beautiful he played. He played the first number I'll never forget, the Stars and Stripes March. He played it so beautiful, and I fell in love with the way he played. So I asked him to come back and play again for us. Well, Angelo came to the house a couple of times, and my father said to Angelo, He said, now, look, if you want to come to the house to practice, you can come. But don't ever come if I'm not here. Because if you come when I'm not here, you'll never come back again. So Angelo adhered to that for seven years. Seven years. Mama. Over here and see who's looking in my window. It's the butcher boy, I know he's got a bundle in his hand. Tell me why he winks his eye whenever he goes by my window. Daughter, daughter, he's in love and you're in love, and love is bad. Oh mama. I get that man for me. Oh, mama, how happy I will be. Tra-la-la-la-la and cheery-beery-bee. If I'm gonna marry, it's the
6: butcher boy for me.
1: And luna, mezzo mare, mamma mia, mamma lilade. Mamma, Oh, Mamma, now get that one for
6: me. Oh, Mamma,
1: how happy
6: I will be.
0: Some of people's most colorful recollections of family music bring us right out to the dance floors and into the kitchens of their childhood homes. Jose Vachon and Helene Crisio remember some lively gatherings.
2: When you're sitting around a room and singing songs everybody clogs or pulls out spoons and gets that rhythm going so you don't really need a, a bass or a piano or a guitar to accompany the the rhythm will do it and the voices will harmonize all together but um at these social dances many times uh, someone would get inspired and get into the center of the room and and do their little thing you know it'd be a stand-up clogging and the secret of stand-up clogging was to not move your upper body. You know, from the waist up, you didn't move. It was just your legs that did all the work. And it was beautiful to watch. You know, everybody had their their style. I, my grandmother used to get up all the time. She'd surprise me actually. She had developed kind of a a forward and then backing up type of uh, dance.
1: the cookie, they'd take the chickens and clean them up. In those days, we'd buy the chickens live. <laughs> Not like it is today, you know. A <laughs> different deal. <laughs> and they'd take the chickens and throw them in the hot water and then take all the feathers off and clean them all up. And they were good. They tasted like chicken. Not today. There's no taste of anything today. And then my aunts would cut them up and fry them up. Fry them. And uh, they were always working together, and my uncle would get me on the side and make me play till I was so tired I couldn't stand it any longer. <laughs>
2: we still celebrated the corn festival. Uh, we, we'd all husk ears of corn for the evening, and then. Uh, and get, you know, a celebration going. It'd be a lot of dancing till two or three in the morning. But that's all we ate was corn. Well, I realized that I had eaten like six, seven years of corn, which is something I wouldn't do here, but it was, it felt normal. <laughs> I mean, it felt as part of the celebration. A lot of wine was drunk and a lot of corn and <laughs> a lot of dancing, a lot of fun. They have bread festivals. They have, it seems like every weekend there's a, this time of year for the agriculture, there's, there's a festival to celebrate everything. Nowadays they bring bands from all over Quebec, and some traditional, some contemporary, because the younger people, they, they know their traditional songs, but they, nowadays they want to hear more of the popular music and the popular bands throughout Quebec.
0: Ethnic musical celebrations and festivals don't stop at national borders. Again and again, we found examples of traditional music of other lands persisting in America, transformed as they are by the immigrant experience. Music is a natural way to maintain affinity with others from the same homeland. Sometimes it's the expatriates who preserve traditional music away from their native environment, seeking familiar ways to express themselves, William Cumpiano is a luthier of folk instruments and has authored a book on the construction of cuatros, traditional Puerto Rican stringed instruments. He is a percussionist in the Latin American band Quetzal.
3: In Puerto Rico, folk music just about disappeared during the 30s and 40s and 50s. It, it all but vanished. It was only kept alive in the Puerto Rican communities in the United States and it was kept alive, and then it was brought back to Puerto Rico. And now there's a a resurgence of music that came back from the uh, expatriate communities when the people returned.
0: Jose Vachon describes the way in which Franco-Americans hold fast to their ethnic identity. Some symbols and some of the music are less universal among Franco-Americans than she had assumed, while others are vital to the core of what it means to be from French Canada.
2: You know, I moved here about five years ago. And I found, you know, the Francos sang along with a lot of songs that I had been doing in Maine. Some of the traditional songs I assumed everyone knew In Maine or New Hampshire, for example, were not known here. I had to do a lot of trying out different songs here and there to see what what they remembered. So I I sensed that depending on where you came from in Quebec, families brought the traditional songs that they knew best or or they liked best, and that's what survived here.
4: Tous jeunes filles et garçons, je vais vous raconter l'histoire de notre immigration ici au USA. De grands aventuriers, de pays étrangers, le long du grand Mississippi venu coloniser, le long du grand Mississippi venu coloniser. Et en 1655, des villages acadiens. Brûlés ce soir inattendu par les Anglais vilains, de familles séparées en bateau exilé, et par la mer emportés dans un pays lointain, et par la mer emportés dans un pays lointain.
5: Tout le long, malheureux, malheureux,
4: tout le long, malheureux, malheureux, tout le long, malheureux, malheureux. Habitants, venus travailler l'usine il y a plus de cent ans Dans leur petit Canada, par leur langue et leur foi Vivant la survivance, mais au moins pour un moment Vivant la survivance, mais au moins pour un moment white, on nous disait pour enlever notre héritage. C'est par l'assimilation qu'on trouve les avantages. The borders between lands are not all that we have crossed. Now we must be taught the language that our mothers lost. Now we must be taught the language that our mothers lost. Tout le long, malheureux, malheureux, tout le long, malheureux. Fathers look at us and sigh with despair. To think that everything they love we simply do not share. The spirit never dies, our culture will survive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Each of us must choose how much to keep alive. Tout le long malheureux, malheureux. tout le long. Malheureux.
0: As we interviewed people for this program, we asked them their impressions of where their music had come from and what it was about. Some people described entire singing styles. Others spoke about the origins and implications of particular songs. Felix Gonzalez, band leader of Orquestra Chevere, tells us how early musicians in Puerto Rico modeled their sounds on the various bird and animal calls that echoed around the island.
7: the oldest instrument is the voice. That's why what they used to do is try to imitate the nature, the birds and animals that they used to surround them. And, and you know, they used to, the flute is trying to make the, the different sounds of the birds. But when they didn't have that, they used, they used to do it with it with the voice. I mean, I know I know people in Puerto Rico, they can do you about uh, 15 or 30 animals, the sound of the voice, instead of... Oh, <laughs>
0: Just as early people imitated natural sounds in song, so people everywhere in all ages have sung praises to nature. Ruby Namgam Lamo sings a song learned from her mother in a yak herder's tent high in the mountains of western Tibet. Before Chinese soldiers invaded in 1959, Tibet was a highland paradise with tribal histories dating back millennia. The spoken traditions of Ruby's childhood community are among the oldest anywhere. Her song speaks of a flirtation between the shy sun and powerful Rocky Mountains below. Jose Vachon answers with "Quand le soleil dit bonjour à montagne," when the sun says hello to the mountain. Certain images and themes are common to folk traditions all across the globe.
1: KAMTU tho tho la nyi ma sha chi ni sum ka me ma sun ka me ma wa la la chi sum SATU tho
5: tho SATU tho 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 wa la za tho la chi sum za ma sun za ma so ma wa la ma
1: la chi sum that's it <laughs> the mountain is going up and always looking at the sun. Then sun is feeling shy, okay, what do you think about me, you know? And um, the Rocky Mountains are also very powerful and very beautiful. We are also getting your energy. You hide yourself or you show yourself, but still we are always shining 24 hours.
0: (laughs) (laughs)
2: This next song, it's called um, When the Sun Says Hello to the Mountain. I don't know if you've heard this in English before. I don't know the English verses, but they, they have translated it. Quand
4: le soleil dit bonjour aux montagnes et que la nuit rencontre le jour Je suis seule avec mes rêves sur la montagne Une voix me rappelle toujours Les coups que m'apporte la chanson du vent Rappelle des souvenirs de toi Quand le soleil dit bonjour aux montagnes, je suis seul, je ne veux penser qu'à toi. Je suis seul, je ne veux penser qu'à toi.
0: Sometimes people sing about aspects of nature, as is common in Tibetan music. In traditional Puerto Rican music, people might sing about one another in two styles of Puerto Rican music known as Plena and Bomba. As Mario Cora and Felix Gonzalez tell us, villagers sing out the news, almost like ancient messengers who carry the voice of the people from town to town. Not only do people sing about events, but they also sing out their frustrations. They describe their society through song.
3: And that's where we got the the, the plena and the bomba. It starts from uh, the talking
7: of the happening of their daily life, uh, the work, their injustice, the 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 condition they used to live, the the gossip about what was happening, and the marriage or whatever.
3: That's one that's uh, the the. That goes, Cortaron Elena, cortaron Elena, cortaron Elena, cortaron Elena y se pa'l hospital. That means they cut Elena and they took her to the hospital. Yeah. And from then on, the, the singer would try to improvise things, you know, around that theme.
0: Freddie Chapulikin articulates his need to understand the cultural context of the music he performs. Life in the Andes is rugged. Peasants struggle to eke out crops from the mountain soil despite encroachments by the modern dominant society. The music gives voice to all this hardship.
8: I think I feel the music better when I know where it comes from. You can't separate the music from its whole background, you know. They're living in, in uh, the traditions of the native peoples of the Americas. Even when, when there are tunes that have no lyrics, it's just music. There's like a complaint always in the music, you know. It's, it's, it's a mood of, of complaining, complaining about the situation in which they live.
0: The social conditions about which folk music often complains produce strong people whose determined beliefs carry them through tough times. Whole traditions of ethical and religious thinking are sometimes embodied and conserved in the presence of family elders. They are the keepers of codes of behavior. Their austerity may reflect the hard times in which their personalities were forged. They seem to be guided by tried and true beliefs with which they battle evil and proclaim goodness. Mary Wyatt contended throughout her childhood with her paternal grandfather, who came from South Carolina to Indiana on the Underground Railroad. Mary, along with the other grandchildren, found the white-haired old gentleman to be rigid in his beliefs, unchangeable and unsusceptible to outside influences or historical trends of modernization. Musically, they were at odds as a sense of jazz and a new beat crept into the singing of younger generations.
5: Yeah, they listened to all kinds of music. That's the one thing I can really pride them for. They just didn't say, you have to listen to church music, and that's all. Now, if it was up to my grandfather, he would have said that because he didn't like jazz, he didn't like us to hum anything when he was over. When we were teenagers, we would start humming jazz and that sort of thing. We liked it and our parents, you know, they liked it. But not grandpa. Grandpa was very strict. He was a minister and uh, he would call that music of the devil. I can remember him so well. and. Um, He told me that if I ever sang, to make sure that I sang, not for the devil, this is the way they put it, but for the glory of God.
0: Even the most resilient of traditional styles may be reshaped by social and geographical changes. In some cases, such changes are actually at the heart of the music. Though they come from distinct regions of the North American continent, both Felix Gonzalez and Jose Vachon discuss how immigration and cross-cultural encounters influenced and revolutionized the traditional sounds of Puerto Rico and Quebec. Gospel singer Mary Wyatt talks about the common origins of seemingly opposite trends in African American singing. The spiritual gospel style, and the brash improvisations of jazz.
7: What well, we have to understand is that, well, we come from Spain, okay, or, or, or Spain came here and. And like we say now, they encounter another culture instead of discover. (laughs) And so it makes our three cultures, which is the African, the Indian, the Indians that were in in the Caribbean by that time, and the Spanish. By way of the Spanish, we got the guitar, which comes by way of the moors that they were for so many years with Spain. And then we did something different with the guitar and, and came with the cuatro. But you see in a salsa band or or a big band the influence of those cultures. When you see the the guiro, the maracas, which were all the Indians, all the instruments were done from fruits and things. And you see the drums, which comes from the Africans, and then the Europeans that came with the with the brass instruments, the wind instruments, uh, the guitars and. So, we have a mix of all that.
9: Perfume de rosa tiene tu alma. Bajo la palmera murmura el viento. Mira, vida mía, si yo te quiero. Que por ti suspiro y hasta me muero. Nota melodiosa me trae el viento. Y eso es vida mía que yo te quiero melodiosa me trae el viento y esa es vida mía que yo te quiero dulzura de virgen tiene tu rostro cuando te contemplo en mi locura y suspiro y hasta me muero Nota melodiosa me trae el viento Y esa es vida mía que yo te quiero Nota melodiosa me trae el viento Y esa es vida mía que yo te quiero
5: If you play blues and if you play some jazz and then play gospel music, you can't tell them apart only by the words, you know, because you'll find that the old beat, there's that beat, you know, and I can remember not so much in our church, but in some black churches, even their whole usher board would walk with that beach, you
9: know.
5: Now my grandfather would swear it'd be jazz. Uh, would swear that I was dancing. If he saw us come walking up there like this, you know. <laughs> he would. and. Uh, Uh, As a result I've never been on the usher board of any Mm -hmm. church because I could just see grandpa looking at me.
6: (laughs)
0: never have served on a church usher board, but she has, along with all the others who speak on this program, built a life around music. From a young age, Mary knew she wanted to be a professional singer, and she knew what kind of music she wanted to perform. But the strength of her vision wasn't sufficient protection against racist typecasting. There were few black people who had made it through the narrow door to the opera stage.
5: When I was getting ready to go to college, I wanted to enter DePaul University Conservatory of Music. And I went to see the dean to see if, it, if if there was any kind of scholarship. And I told him what I wanted to do and what, you know, I had all these dreamed ideas, wanting to become a, an opera star, you know, this, this dream. And, uh, And finally, he gave me his conclusion that he thought I should go to Fisk University, which, as you know, Fisk is a totally black school in Nashville, Tennessee. And in those days, I was kind of snippy, too. And, uh, And I told him that if I wanted to go to Fisk, I would have applied to Fisk. And he said he was sorry, and he told me that You know, said the Negroes can't get a job in the opera, but said if you sang in a nightclub.
0: Regardless of what may have stood in Mary's way, music has remained a central part of her life. She derives both solace and joy from the power of song. The same is true for Mario Cora and Helene Crisio, who speak of their careers as professional musicians. Mario was one of a handful of people who paved the way to a new style of Puerto Rican music. He performed with the well-known Tito Rodriguez, and then with Cortijo and his combo. Men like Mario Cora introduced a new brand of Puerto Rican music to the United States mainland through ports of entry such as New York City. At the same time, he carried Manhattan's big band influence back to Puerto Rico, sounding the new call on his legendary trumpet. Mario played in bands that were introducing a new mode of performance. The brassy big band splashed with Caribbean rhythms of Puerto Rico. These bands were the first to use rehearsed choreography in their performances. In Mario's words, the audience went crazy.
3: For me, I felt the music deep inside me since I was small. So they gave me the opportunity to to learn how to play an instrument. So from then on, it was up to me to keep it going, you know. So I started playing with different groups. My brother made a group. and. Uh, after that, I went to the next town to play with another group. And from then, I went to New York. Then somebody heard me playing with a small group, and they recommended me to to, to a, a, a big name in, in New York. From Tito Rodriguez, I went on to Cortijo and His Combo. So he asked me, he said that he was going to add another trumpet to his group, and that he wanted that trumpet to beat me. This group used to play standing up and dancing at the same time, everybody, like a choreographer, you know? And I I, I never saw a band like that.
7: They traveled all Latin America. They came to New York when was the big band era, and they they came with eight guys, only eight guys, and they took over New York. They took over.
0: Helene Crisio also built a life around her music. It started during her childhood when live music was as common as kitchen talk, continued into her courtship with and then marriage to an accomplished accordion player. It included a life of performing, both on her own and with her husband Angelo. As you'll hear in her description of a typical performance, Helene never confined herself to one instrument. At age 80, Helene Crisio's life continues to revolve around her music. She not only performs, but also gives accordion lessons to several fortunate pupils.
1: So we got jobs to play, you know, entertainment work. We were really spreading out because everybody liked us. You see, in those days, we had no vitaphones. The the movies were silent. So during intermission, they'd have a show going on. So Angelo and I would start off with two accordions. Then I would go out and get my violin, and he would still continue playing something different, and I'd play the violin. Then I'd go out and get my banjo mandolin and play that and sing. Then I'd go out and get my guitar and sing Spanish or Italian. Then I'd go out and get my accordions and wind up with a march at the end, and they loved it.
0: As a professional musician, Helene learned to please a variety of audiences in movie houses, family affairs, and nightclubs all over the Northeast. The family tunes and folk songs she learned as a child were rearranged and reinterpreted for the stage. Helene and Angelo added polkas, marches, and original compositions as they went along. Performing night after night, Helene developed the knack of being able to play something for everybody. Flexibility and an openness to style she heard became a new characteristic of what was once homegrown music for family consumption. Scholars argue endlessly about just when folk music loses its pure simplicity and becomes commercial. Helene and others featured in this program talk about the influences on their music. All of these musicians will leave their stamp on the traditions that have shaped them. Audiences who come to concerts given by so-called traditional bands like Sal, don't always welcome the sorts of innovations on which artists thrive. Members of Quetzal don't just entertain the people who come to hear them play. They work to educate their audiences as well, and to broaden listeners' horizons of what is considered traditional. As Freddy Chapolikin explains, the work is rewarding, but it also carries its fair share of frustrations. I
8: we would say, well, where do we go from here? You know, we're playing this music and, And uh, yeah, it's great and we respect this music and it's wonderful and everything, but what about our creativity as, as, you know, as artists? I mean, what do we want to do with it? We just want to cage it and keep it there because, uh, you know, we have to be respective of our roots or we want to keep on going on and and trying to explore all the options for us. So I think that was a big uh, jump for us, you know somehow fight also the impressions that other people had of our music before. Sometimes some, somehow make understand people that what we're doing is is very valid still as folk music. Because if we will follow what Peter said then we will still probably listen to, you know, a man banging on a piece of wood.
0: of western New England today is like eating a large, tossed salad with plenty of spices, oils, and cheeses. If it all began with someone banging on a piece of wood, certainly today, people here play every imaginable instrument, from the bamboo panpipes of Andean mountain music to the brass of Puerto Rican salsa. Festivals and fairs in every town and neighborhood of New England have provided local venues for contemporary folk music. But what our guests have sung and spoken about today seldom reaches regional or national audiences. Most of our guests feel that the strength of these traditions guarantees them a place in generations to come, despite the video virus raging around the globe. José intimates that singing traditions remain a galvanizing force among younger generations of her family, while Mary and Helene continue to find serenity and happiness making music in the old time way we meet
2: every christmas when between all of us it's it ends up being 27 every year and they were afraid at some point that uh, the the kids you know my age would once we grew up we wouldn't want to follow our families anymore for christmas and new years but it's the opposite even my cousins who are you know uh, today who are 18 19 and the younger ones at 12 they they love you know to get together and and keep dancing the music in the evenings you know towards the end of the evening, by midnight or one in the morning, we'll get to the rock and roll. But before that, when all the uh, aunts and uncles are still up and going, all the square dancing is, is a lot of fun.
5: When my niece was talking to me last Saturday, she was quoting uh, some music, and she said, "There, I feel better. Somehow, or another, I get a lot of solace from them. I think they're beautiful, and they make me feel." Especially steal away. It makes me feel as though that I'm really with God. You know, it it just makes me feel that way. It makes me feel better. I might be around here worrying about different things, and it just seems to soothe me. Got long to stay here. Well, I
1: love it. That's what I enjoy doing. I do it all the time. I'm writing music or practicing. I like to make up things of my own. When I get the blues, I sit down and practice my polkas. The polkas liven me up a little. (laughs) A lot of times things bother me a lot. And rather than sit and think about it, I either play the piano and sing one of my crazy songs, (laughs) then I I take my accordion and practice on that for a while. You feel a lot better after that. Take it out on the accordion.
0: you've been listening to sing me back home written and produced from the taped archives of the western massachusetts folklife project under the auspices of the pioneer valley folklore society and directed by folklorist michael klein field recordings and scripting were by michael hoberman carrie klein rick reese and michael klein humanities scholar was historian robert weir with special consulting from robbie lepser and amy loomis Featured were songs and stories of William Cumpiano and Alfredo Chapulican with their band Quetzal, Mario Alvarez Cora with Cortijo Isicumbo and the Mickey Cora Band, Jose Vachon with her band Chanterelle, Helene Crisio on accordion, Mary Pittman Wyatt and Felix Gonzalez. Production engineering by Michael Klein and Sheldon Katzman. Production facilities were provided by WFCR, Amherst, Massachusetts, public radio for Western New England. This program is a production of the Pioneer Valley Folklore Society based at the Montague Mill in Montague, Massachusetts. Funding provided by the Massachusetts Foundation on the Humanities and the Ruth Mott Fund. For the Pioneer Valley Folklore Society, I'm Carrie Noble Klein. ¶¶